politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. By the time you read this, or listen to this, I should say, uh, the president might be done speaking. I don't know. I debated whether or not I'd wait till after he spoke, but the guy's never on time, so the odds that he'll be right on time at five? Eh, I don't know. Slim to none. But there's some major breaking news, and this is why I'm glad I'm with you for this afternoon podcast, because uh, the president is apparently going to announce a private sector vaccine mandate. I don't know where he thinks he gets the authority to do this, but apparently that's the big news that he's going to announce today a private sector vaccine. The United States will require companies with more than 100 employees to mandate vaccines or weekly COVID-19 tests for their staff. The requirement covers 80 million private sector workers. And then the other 20 million or so are would be a mix of federal workers. So uh, this is a, a massive overreach of government. I don't know where the hell they think to get this authority. I have no idea where they think they get this authority. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. You're, you're going to bully private companies into, in, into doing this. Now, look, I mean, a lot of these companies may have gone to him and said, please give us cover, Mr. President, because if we announce it, then we'll lose employees and we're afraid to do that. I don't know. But back on July 25th, Jen Psaki Snarks said that I don't care that I call her Snarks, by the way. Vaccine mandate is not the federal government's purview. They promised. Actually, the Biden administration promised there would never be a vaccine mandate. You remember that? Promised there would never be a vaccine mandate, a federal vaccine mandate. Another lie they broke. So many lies. How's your day going, by the way? This is nuts. This is insane that they're going to do this. I really, honestly, truly don't know where they think to get the authority. So we'll talk about this, uh, and and perhaps maybe something will happen during the course of the podcast. Maybe he'll come on early. I doubt it, but hey, you never know. Uh, let me give you some other updates today. Peter Ducey asked Jen Psaki about Anthony Fauci's lies before Congress about gain-of-function research. Remember the big intercept story this week and how, uh, yes, in fact, there were several grants, EcoHealth Alliance, National Institutes of Health, blah, 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 studying back coronaviruses and uh, and then altering the back coronaviruses, which is gain-of-function research. Fauci lied. We know this now. So Peter Ducey asked Jen Psaki about this a short time ago at the White House press briefing. Take a listen. said from that podium that under no circumstance would President Biden ever fire Dr. Fauci. Is that still the case since Fauci told Congress the NIH never funded gain-of-function research for coronaviruses in Wuhan, but documents published by The Intercept suggest that it's not true, which would mean that he misled Congress? Well, first, I would say that NIH uh, has uh, refuted uh, that reporting, um, and I would point you to that. But let me give you some highlights of that. Uh, NIH has never approved any research that would make a coronavirus more dangerous to humans. I'm reminded that there are previous and different coronaviruses than the existing one we're battling. And the body of science produced by this research demonstrates that the bad coronavirus sequences published from that work uh, NIH supported were not uh, COVID, the, the strain, COVID-2 strain. Why? Uh, so what he said was correct. So his job is safe. Correct. Okay, moving on. Can you... No, hang on, hang on, hang on. Before we move on here, Peter Ducey, before we move on... That's a total lie. 
NIH absolutely funded research to make back coronaviruses more infectious to humans. It's whether or not this was a particular strain in the Petri dish is irrelevant. They were funding gain-of-function research. Now, maybe since the, the, the strain that they funded might have, oh, I don't know, wait for it, maybe there's a, a variant? Imagine that. There might be a variant. Right. So that's their dodge. That's their dodge. Well, it's a different coronavirus. Man, these people, it's, it's amazing. Um, <clears throat> all right, so getting a little more context in what apparently uh, the regulations are going to be. So apparently now... He's going to order OSHA to use their authority on infectious diseases to now mandate that everybody in private industries be subject to every rule under the, I guess, Small Business Regulatory Enforcement Fairness Act. I'm not not quite sure. I'm not quite sure exactly. Uh, let me see if I can play this for you. This is uh, Jen Psaki when she said, oh, come, you know what the, you know what it is? It, it really is. Why can't the president come out and speak, read? I, first of all, I need to, re- let me reset the whole podcast. President Biden's supposed to read tonight at 5 p.m., not speak. I don't. I keep saying that. I keep messing up here. This is, uh, Saki, let me play this for you here. I got to unmute this here. There's a lot of breaking news. Aren't you glad I'm here for you in the afternoon? I am. I'm glad you're here for me. That's for damn sure. All right, so this is what Jen Psaki said back in July. Ready? Alabama's Republican governor says it is time to start blaming the unvaccinated folk who are letting us down. What do you think about that take? I don't think our role is to place blame, uh, but what we can do is provide accurate information uh, to people who are not yet vaccinated about the risks they are incurring, not only among uh, on themselves, but also the people around them. And well, if you are a young person, you may think uh, you are Superman or Superwoman and immune from the from getting the virus. That is not true. That is not accurate. You can get very sick. You can die from the virus. You can also make your grandparents sick and your parents sick. That is factual information. We're not, uh, but we're not here to place blame or threats. We're here to provide accurate information. She says that she doesn't know what else she can do at this point, that she's hit a brick wall with trying to convince people to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Is that a sign that perhaps the federal government should step in and issue mandates? And if not, are you putting the needs of unvaccinated people ahead of the needs of vaccinated people? Well, I think the question here, one, that's not the role of the federal government. Um, uh-huh. That is what the changed? role that institutions, private sector entities uh, and others may take. That certainly is appropriate. Also, local communities uh, are going to take uh, steps they need to take uh, in order to protect people in their communities. I will say we understand her frustration. OK, and we- so it's not the role of the federal government, but now it suddenly is the role of the federal government. And I'm sure that, that, that Jen Psaki will find a way to twist herself into a pretzel and explain why what she said back then is different than what she said back today. And you know what, it, what all she has to do? All she has to do is just say Delta. Cause Delta. That's all she has to say. Because apparently cause Delta is the new get out of jail free card for anything. You just say, oh, Delta. And that's, that's just it. Well, Delta. There you go. Uh, so apparently now the move, uh, which is going to require the vast majority of Private sector workers, about two-thirds of U.S. workers are going to be covered under this. I don't know. Again, I mean, I said this at the beginning. I don't know where he thinks he get this authority from. Through a pair of executive orders and other federal rules, Mr. Biden will either require or prod two-thirds of the— Well, that's very different, requiring or prodding. What's There's a— Is that a difference by distinction here or what? Two-thirds of the American workforce to get vaccinated. His administration also intends to compel vaccination for federal contractors— 
as well as 17 million healthcare workers in hospitals and other institutions that receive Medicare and Medicaid funding, which is basically every hospital. There's a very, very, very few hospitals don't take Medicare and Medicaid funding. Beyond that, Mr. Biden is seeking to extend vaccine mandates to the private sector. According to the New York Times, he will instruct the Department of Labor to draft a rule mandating that all businesses with 100 or more workers require their employees to get vaccinated or face mandatory weekly testing. The mandate for federal workers is an especially assertive move by the president. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, told reporters on Thursday that aside from some religious and disability exemptions, the vast majority of federal workers will be subject to a 75-day grace period for receiving a vaccine. But the private sector, which is the whole area there that I still don't understand where he thinks he gets his authority from. But let me back up here. Kathy McQuinston, a deputy general counsel for the American Federation of Government Employees, Union government hacks, a union representing some 700,000 federal workers who all vote Democrat, said in an interview that her organization would be working with agencies to not skip over procedures and make sure employees have due process if they were disciplined. Oh, it's not going to go over well with the big unions. Oh, that's not going to work out well for them at all. Mm-hmm. No siree Bob or Madam Bob. I don't want to say that. Uh, apparently, I guess this is going to be some sort of OSHA, some sort of OSHA move or something. Uh, everybody's kind of speculating at this point until they actually see the documents from the president. But Je- yeah, she'll twist herself into a pretzel explaining. Well, um, so back then um, there was no uh, Delta and uh, we thought that people would um, get vaccinated. And uh, since they didn't, uh, this leaves the president no choice. So if we want to get uh, back to life uh, as normal, we need a massive expansion of the authority of the federal government uh, into the private sector workplace. And then they'll list all the different things. The pri- And this is what the left will do. They'll list all the other things and reasons justifying how the, the federal government is already in the private sector. They'll, they'll talk about the minimum wage. They'll talk about the OSHA requirements. They'll talk about this requirement and that requirement. They'll remind you that if you work at a large company, you go to the break room And prominently displayed is that big labor chart that lists all of your federal rights. So they'll justify it that way, too. And what did she say about vaccine force? All she said was stay tuned. You know why they're trying to figure out the legality of this is what they're trying to do up until the last minute. Trying to figure out the, the legality before they go out and speak on television. Because it's not legal. I, it's, I mean... Look, the problem is, though, is that all it takes is one judge to go, well, based on the extraordinary circumstances here and the uh, nation's uh, past and blah, 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 blah. That's, that, that's all it takes. And then, boom, now all of a sudden you've got it legal that the federal government has just come into your workplace and mandated that you get vac- vaccinated. And look, I, I, I'm not opposed to vaccines. I got the vaccine. It's not the point. Don't make it about that. The federal government has no business being in the private workplace it doesn't i'm sorry it i know the left's going to justify it because uh if your health impacts my health but then what what else is the is the government going to do is i mean you're going to go in the private sector workplace and, and ban red meat you can't serve red meat if you're a company over 100 employees in your in your ever you can't eat it at lunch can't serve it in your cafeteria because cows methane and global warming and climate change i'm right why not is, is there anything that stops them at this point this, this all began with Obamacare, too, with them mandating that you had to get insurance. Mandating that you had to get insurance. Private sector, individuals having to buy a product. As soon as the federal government got away with that, 
thanks to John Roberts, then it was all over at that point. Then, then there, was, there was no constraints left between you as an individual and the federal government. If they can bully you into buying something, they can bully you into getting a shot in your arm. They bully you into basically doing anything. And, we, and if you think that I'm exaggerating about climate change, the former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, was Homeland Security Secretary under Obama, was asked today the biggest threats facing the world and America. Ready? You want to guess what it is? Before I play the clip, you want to guess? All right. You've had your chance to guess, right? Okay, here we go. Let's take a listen. When it comes to Afghanistan. And as you sit there, I think you're in your, your office on 6th Avenue. You recounted in a, in a very moving essay your reactions on that day, on 9-11. And uh, it was your birthday, in fact. So that day must always have sort of very conflicting emotions for you. As it would anybody, right? Uh, And you were looking from another window in your office down towards, you know, downtown, Mm -hmm. where you were headed later in the day, if you all had not gone, you know, terribly out of kilter. Um, Right. But you you point out in that essay that it is the domestic threat now that is the overriding concern. Not the threat from these jihadis who are going to be Drawn jihadis who uh, stormed the Capitol building right on January 6th. Grandma's taking pictures with uh, Capitol Police officers. Yes, I'm in the very same law firm in the very same building now that I was 20 years ago on 6th Avenue. Amazing how these guys always win, isn't it? The World Trade Center looking down 6th Avenue that day. Um, It's important, given the traumatic events of what we saw in Afghanistan, the last couple of weeks, not to lose sight of what the current threats to our nation are right now. Okay. You asked me what the top three security threats. Okay, here we go. Okay, so we just talked about 9-11, and she hinted at domestic extremism. So here we go. Top three threats from the former Obama Homeland Security Secretary, who, of course, would become Homeland Security Secretary after personally watching uh, the events on 9-11 in New York City. So what are the top three threats? Here we go. The United States of America are, I'd say, global warming, global warming, global warming, followed by cybersecurity attacks. Okay. And- so global warming, global warming, global warming. Somebody better tell him it's now climate change, by the way. How do you, with a straight face, say that? Uh, tr- tr- the Taliban just took over. In fact, you know, this guy's amazing because earlier in the interview with Andrea Mitchell, he actually goes on to say he's shocked. You, you got to hear this. Listen, he's actually shocked to find out that the very same people that they drove out of there are now in charge of the Taliban government. L- listen, listen to this. So uh, first, I was stunned by the graphic you showed two of the individuals now part of the Afghan government, members of the Taliban who were suspected terrorist ties, one of whom is the interior minister. That was right. that's my counterpart. He's effectively the secretary of Homeland Security for Afghanistan. So that's quite striking. Our, striking. Andrea are over the horizon. OK, that's quite striking that you have terrorists back in charge in Afghanistan. But still, I'm going to go with the top three being global warming, global warming, global warming. You can't even squeeze in one of them being the Taliban back in Afghanistan or Al Qaeda or ISIS or something. Just just an honorable mention. An honorable mention. Give them the bronze. They can't even get the bronze? Not even the bronze. You just admitted that some of them are still on the most wanted list from the FBI. Terrorists on the most wanted list. You, Mr. Stingy, can't even give them a bronze medal? A participation trophy? Nothing? 
Now, uh, let me uh, let me tell you that um, I'm always hesitant to go to Jeffrey Tubin for a number of Jeffrey- reasons, but mainly because I never know if he's going to keep it in his pants or not. But assuming that there's no Tubin going on, uh, we will turn to the uh, once disgraced legal analyst on CNN who decided to use his body as an amusement park to uh, to give some analysis now on whether or not Joe Biden's order on the private sector will We'll hold up in court. Let, let's let's go. Let's uh, let's let's do the tube in here. I mean, no, no, no. I no, no. <laughs> Whoa, no, no. I don't mean we should do the tube in. I'm not doing the tube in. Let me make that point very clear. Tubin, what is the difference between this announcement and a federal vaccine mandate? Well, it's close, but it's- by the way, how many? Do you think everybody in CNN is just tempted to just blurt out, Tubin, put it away, put it away, Jeff? I would be. That's the thing. I I could never do one of these CNN panels because all I would be the whole time I'd be sitting there going, just, you know, Jeff, put it away. He's tubing it. Anyway, here we go. It's not it's not a federal. It is not everyone in the United States. Uh, I think the technical legal term for what what went on today is no more Mr. Nice Guy. I mean, this is uh, the beginning of getting closer to a, a national mandate. There is the question, though, of whether the federal government has the legal authority to do this. I mean, the OSHA is, you know, supervises uh, employ, employee safety. Uh, whether that authority extends to uh, requiring a, a vaccines for people in, in companies bigger than 100 employees, you can be sure this is going to be challenged in court. I don't know the answer to that, but I do. Why know would that you? This You're the dumbest attorney. No, really. I mean, why would he know the answer to that? He's the dumbest attorney. Let me let me tell you what he's saying here. Let me translate for you. So Tubin knows it's not constitutional. He knows it's out way, way, way exceeds OSHA's authority. But he doesn't want to say that on CNN because on CNN, they all have to they're all excited for this because they love government authority over the individual. So they love this. So he doesn't want to say this. Look, it's bad enough. They took him back after, you know, that whole thing happened. Now he's going to go on TV and say Biden doesn't have the authority to do this. What are you crazy? Jeffrey Tubin's not going to say that. Are you kidding me? Smart, funny podcast. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Indeed it is. And I was trying to see if I could possibly wait until Biden spoke, but I, I just don't think so. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to keep trying here to get more information on, on what the basis of this is going to be. In the meantime, let me uh, turn to the situation in Afghanistan for a moment, because there, there's a number of developments from today that I want to bring you up to speed on. And, you know, the purpose of this podcast, I really think, is to give you updates as much as it is to inform you, entertain you, and, uh, you know, uh, go in-depth on certain issues. But let me do, actually, before I get to the Taliban, the whole issue of that, let me just say this. If, if OSHA is the basis of the president's authority, workplace safety, and then he's going to come out and say, in order to have a safe workplace, everybody has to be vaccinated... Because you could give it to other people inside the uh, the workplace. If that's going to be his argument here, if that's going to be the argument that Joe Biden uses in the workplace, I'm trying to think how they can possibly justify this, considering that so much of the precedent around OSHA rules and OSHA laws have to do with employees literally physically hurting themselves under unsafe work conditions that the employer creates. The employer's not creating this unsafe work condition. You follow my thinking on this? 
The employer's not creating the unsafe work condition. The employee is. But the employee's not hurting anybody else. You, you, I'm sorry, you can't make the argument to me that somebody walks into the break room and is unvaccinated, therefore they're creating an unsafe work environment for their employees, for their fellow coworkers. You cannot give me that argument because if you're vaccinated, you're good. You're good. So give me a break with that. And the employer is not creating the unsafe work environment. It's not like the employer's coming out and saying, if you get vaccinated, you're fired. So I'm just trying to understand how you can justify this, considering that all the precedents around the Occupational Safety and Hazard Act, and clearly Congress's intent was to protect people from having their arms chopped off on assembly lines and whatnot, is clearly around unsafe work conditions, really around people on manufacturing lines, that the employer creates unsafe conditions as a way to save money, and, and you wind up losing a toe, a hand, a... A, a, a finger, something like that. But well, how is the employee? I mean, this is the defense I would think that a private company is going to use. How am I creating the unsafe work environment? What am I? What, I didn't do anything. My employees are welcome to get vaccinated. In fact, if they're not vaccinated, I I, I make them uh, stay six feet away from everybody, and I make them carry around a stick, a six foot long stick. They got to poke anybody else in the in the stomach if they come near them if they're not vaccinated. I, I don't know. I make them wear masks in the workplace. How how am I creating an unsafe workplace? And then if that's the argument, then it's always been that the employee has the ability. Because remember, OSHA is about the employee showing up for work, right? Punches the ticket, walks in. Now the employer has set up a hostile or dangerous work uh, place, right? You, you know, the, it, the conditions are unsafe and they're going to wind up hurting themselves. But that's on the employer. It's never been on the employee. So now you're forcing the employee to undergo something for their own theoretical personal safety. This is way outside the scope of OSHA. I... Right? I mean, you're following me. I'm, I'm trying to make this pretty easy. I think I understand this. Way outside the scope of OSHA. OSHA is about employers having a, a, a safe workplace for their employees. But it's not about the empl- the burden being on the employee to particularly do something, especially when it comes to in, it, taking something inside their body. So this is way, 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 way beyond the government's authority here as I see it. That's my analysis. And I don't have to pull a tube in to know that. And Tubin knows it too. He just doesn't want to say it because, again, he doesn't want to lose his cushy position on CNN. See how I just right away was able to break that analysis down for you. Look at that, huh? It's almost like I'm good at this, but I'm not. Don't tell anybody. State Department spokesman Ned Price, who's definitely not good at his job, wants to make no sweeping judgments on terrorists being in the Taliban government. We don't want to judge. Who are, who are we to judge that terrorists took over the country with force and are now in charge? that uh, and we will continue uh, to do everything we can uh, together with our partners uh, to work towards that goal. Andrea. I, uh, I understanding that you welcome this step. What about what we've seen on the streets of Kabul and other places, the lashings, the beatings of people, to say nothing of the appointment of an all-male non-inclusive cabinet with these two Haqqani members with bounties on their head from the State Department? Well, so Andrea, as I said before, uh, we are uh, not going to make sweeping categorical judgments uh, just yet. Uh Right. We're not going to make sweeping categorical judgments on the terrorists in charge of Afghanistan. 
with their non-inclusive government. And, you know, the thing about it, too, is that if the Taliban wants to be inclusive, all they're going to do is just include other terrorists. I mean, would it, would it make Andrew Mitchell feel better if they had some jihadi Janies there sitting at the table? If Jihad Jane was the director of the interior of the, of the newly formed Taliban cabinet, would that make her feel better? I assume. Because any woman the Taliban brings in is going to be a terrorist, too. I shared this statistic on the show this morning, but there have been hundreds of female suicide bombers in the world. Hundreds. So it's not like you're going to bring in a woman and she's going to be, well, you know, listen here, I'm, I'm the one woman in the room. So you terrorists better watch yourselves. No, she's going to be a, a jihadi nutbag like they are, just with different anatomy. Although, why are we so focused on anatomy all of a sudden when it comes to the Taliban? You mean, you're not, you're not allowed to, you, you, you're not, oh, look at this. Now, Ryan Mannion's on uh, with Neil Cavuto. Look at that. And they're talking about the 9-11 heroes, Ron, honoring fallen first responders. And Ryan will be on our special 9-11 show tomorrow morning. So I'm excited to talk to her. I always love talking to Ryan. She's a great friend. So really, I mean, think about this now. Why would we make a judgment about the Taliban, a bunch of savages, a bunch of brutes, especially when they are, in fact, holding our people back. And we know that they are because how do I know? Ned Price confirmed it today. State Department spokesman Ned Price. You know what he looks like? He looks like the butler on Adam's family. Like he's real thin and lanky. You know what I mean? And and his, his clothes are way too big on him. It's like his mom took him shopping at, at the Gap. Why do I focus on appearance? I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you other than I can be a very petty little man sometimes. I don't, beyond that, I don't really, I don't, I don't know. And maybe it's just these people just annoy me so much. Uh, we have been able to confirm, at least to the best of our ability, not having personnel on the ground, uh, that there are uh, American citizens, that there are uh, LPRs, there are other at-risk Afghans to whom we do have that commitment, uh, who are uh, willing and ready to go uh, on one of these charter flights. And our contention continues to be uh, that these individuals should be allowed to go. Uh, we have made that known very uh, publicly. You've heard the secretary speak to it uh, at some length, both in Doha uh, and in Germany yesterday and the day before. But we've also made this known privately. Uh, and we have engaged with the Taliban, both Ambassador Khalilzad uh, and with the team that Ian McCary is, lead, is leading uh, out of Doha on this very question. Now, so why would we have to do any of that if the Taliban weren't holding people back? Why? Why would we have to do any of those things, Ned Price? The answer is we wouldn't. He kind of looks like a little bit like Ed Norton, too. I mean, the the one from The Honeymooners. Why would we have to do any of those things if the Taliban was not holding back our people? Hmm? I'll wait. I'll wait. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm still waiting. Oh, right. We wouldn't. We wouldn't have to. And that is the shame of all of this, isn't it? All right. Let's do this here. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. I'm thinking to myself for a moment here of all the people on the left suddenly justifying the federal government just deciding it has this kind of authority over private businesses. And again, this is not about being pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. At what point do we say enough is enough with government overreach? You know, obviously the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And I saw a poll recently that most Americans agree that it changed America for the worse. And I think a big part of that is because of just the government's surveillance, the, the, the entire surveillance state that was created. 
the government decided that it was going to monitor its own citizens in the wake of 9-11. And don't give me, don't tell me that they weren't collecting our metadata. Obama lied when he said, we're not listening to your phone calls. Of course, the government was doing all those things to us. We know this. It happened. It all came out in the Trump campaign. And for years, I was warning you saying, do not give the government this kind of power under the guise of, of, of stopping terrorism because they will weaponize it. They will use it politically. They'll use it politically against you. And what happened in 2015, 2016? Every tool we gave them to stop the terrorists, they turned around and they used it to infiltrate and spy on a presidential campaign. And they're doing it again, this time under the guise of stopping domestic terrorism. So back then it was, uh, it was the whole notion of stopping radical Islamic terrorism. Now it's about stopping domestic terrorism. And you heard Jay Johnson say that. Well, that's the biggest threat now. I mean, not the biggest threat. It's like fourth. Global warming, global warming, global warming. And then... A bunch of MAGA hats storming the Capitol building. So they've got all the justification. They've got the powers. And they can, they're can they probably already watching all of your posts and, and listening to you at every single turn. And all that happened because we decided that in the wake of 9-11, we, we all had to do everything possible to be safe. And we said to the government, take our liberty. Just keep me safe. Take, take the Fourth Amendment. Shred it. Shred the Bill of Rights. Just keep me safe, please. And it turns out we weren't safe. Because you can never be safe from your own government if you give up the very protections afforded to you in the Bill of Rights. I say this all the time. The Bill of Rights are your protection from your government. Bill of Rights is not something the government gave you. Bill of Rights is, is, is these are your inalienable rights protecting you from your government. Think about it. Every single right in the so-called Bill of Rights is, is your protection against government, your, your ability to, to protest, your ability to speak out, your ability to worship the way you want, your ability to say whatever you want in the press, your ability to have protests, rallies, and free speech, criticize them, your right to defend yourself and your family, defend yourself against tyranny, and certainly to protect yourself from your person's papers and effects. You, you're guaranteed a trial. You're guaranteed. A, 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 I mean, all of the different aspects in there are all designed to protect you from your government. Now, look what's happening now. What's happening now is that now the government has now decided we're going to once again, because COVID radically expand our footprint and come into the private workplace now. And we're going to tell private employers what to do. We're going to make the same mistake we made after 9-11. We're going to allow the government, we're going to give the government more power than it has over individuals, over private sector companies. And we'll find a fancy way to justify it. And then anybody, you know, back then after 9-11 was, what do you want, another terrorist attack? If anybody stood up and said, like Ron Paul or Rand Paul or me or anybody else stood up and said, you know what, I really don't like all this. This eavesdropping, this, this, this snooping on us, it's going to backfire one day. The uh, common response was, what do you want, another terrorist attack, huh? Well, now it's going to be, what do you want, people to die of COVID, huh? But you know what? I, I would really, if I was a liberal today, I'd be very, very nervous about this. I'd be very nervous about giving the government this kind of ability in the private sector, in the workplace, to just decide that they have the power to come into your, your, your own workplace and make these kind of orders. I'd be very nervous if I were them. I really would. Because today's crisis is... is, is, is well, it depends on who's in charge, right? It depends on who's calling the shots there. Uh, what's happening in Afghanistan right now is is terrible. What's happening in Afghanistan? And I got—I really got to give Clarissa Ward, CNN, um, some of 
some of the credit here because they've done some really good reporting on this and the, the gruesome and brutal crackdown on women and journalists in the country are besties to tell. We're not going to make any judgments on them. And, and remember, remember, a lot of them have challenging track records. But we're not going to make judgments now, especially even though they're doing this. On the ground, the Taliban making their presence known a day after banning protests that they don't approve beforehand. The pictures of women getting beaten. We saw these images yesterday of a brutal crackdown against women protesting in Kabul. And I want to warn you, the next picture that I will show you is difficult to look at. But we think it is important to show the reality on the ground. So these two journalists were detained for covering those protests. Here's what they look like after a few hours in Taliban custody. Absolutely gruesome images. I describe it as covered in welts from being whipped and beaten from the Taliban. These are the people we don't, we don't want to make judgments about. These are the people that are holding... 200 people, 200 of our fellow Americans, potentially. It's really amazing to me, isn't it? It really is amazing that this is happening. Uh, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm gonna put this podcast out. And then I'm going to, it's going to be a little shorter, obviously, but then I'm going to come back and uh, cover Biden's speech. How's that sound? Sound good? All right, cool. So um, you'll have to download another podcast, but you know it'll be fun. Just like the old days when I used to cover... This stuff live on the air because news breaks in the afternoon. All right, so uh, part two will be coming up very shortly. Thanks for listening.